I'm, my name is Bob. Thank you very much. And when my recovery group, everybody says hi back to me. So I just want to greet you. Um, I do want to pray first because um, I'm kind of moving through this tonight. I'm a little more flexible than usual, and so I'm going to need a little help, okay? So, Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for, um, thank you for Lori's new job. Thank you for Paula's surgery that it went so well. Thank you for everything you've done this week. And in spite of just chaos reigning in the natural, we persevere and we are victorious in Jesus. And I thank you tonight, Lord, that um, you have uh, something in store for us. And I pray that you would let me and enable me and empower me to be able to speak this well so that it would be understandable and, and uh, just we can find application. And I just need all of you to agree with me, if you will, if you just open your hearts to the Holy Spirit and uh, receive what he has for you tonight of instruction in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. Well, last week, um, I continued a, a, a series. I think uh, Carla began the series about two weeks ago on encounters. And she talked about encounters of the third kind, the, the kind that come on you just as you walk and you recognize that there's something going on in your realm and you begin to identify Jesus or movement of God, or angels, or whatever um, is happening at the moment in your everyday life. And we began to recognize those, and to stop and take note, and just kind of hold those in our heart. Last week, I talked about encounters of the first kind, <laughs> just kind of playing on that a little bit. But I, I, I talked about the primary, most important encounter we can have is with God personally. This is a, this is a one-on-one thing. And it preempts religion and service and ministry and everything else. Because out of this place of being with God, we come out changed. And so I'm going to talk about those. We, um, we talked about how we discovered these encounters come to us of the first kind. And just to go back over and do a little bit of summary, we, we remembered that sometimes God will just come to us in the course of our life and randomly, spontaneously, he'll appear and do a supernatural thing, right? Anybody experienced any of those? No, it's just a God, it's an epiphany, it's a God moment, and he did it, he initiated it, and he appeared and did something wonderful. There's also a second kind of encounter with God that we initiate. This is the kind where we create an environment and welcome him to it, and we take time to create a scene where he can actually come and, and engage us in our lives. And we are the ones who create that environment. We're the ones that are calling out to him. And it's not random. It's not spontaneous. This is calculated. This is because you need him. And you're taking time to invite him into an atmosphere where he would be comfortable, where the Holy Spirit could come and rest. Right? Okay, that's what we talked about. So regardless of how this encounter happens, it changes us in some way. And I'm just going to open this up, some, some dialogue for a moment. When we encounter God, when we have a moment, we're not just running through our little petition prayers, you know what I mean, and we actually stop and we have something where we engage him, we come away with something usually. What are the things that we come away with? What are the things that affect us, that change us, that we come away with? So some things. Peace, it's prayer, it's strength, courage and strength, absolutely. I'm sorry? 
joy. What else? I wrote some down here, just, just Bob thoughts, but this is, we often see him differently. We often, sometimes he appears to us and reveals something to us that we hadn't previously seen or known. And it's time, it's in the fullness of the moment, he wants to say, have you seen this about me? And something about that changes us, doesn't it? Um, we hear him in those moments, and truth is revealed. And it often gives us the opportunity to abandon long-held beliefs that really were lies. Suddenly there is a, the truth and it illuminates our lives and we see something that has held us for years and we recognize it's not true. And we can say, you know, I'm done with that. I embrace this truth that's going to change my life, and it does. That's what happens in that embrace of Jesus. And there's another thing that happens. As a result of seeing his heart and having him reveal his, who he is, he also shows us how he feels about people. And sometimes we come away affected and touched in our hearts with a new love for humanity that we didn't have before. You ever been there? Have you ever been to just been able to be with someone before, that, that before you couldn't? And suddenly you have a, a view of them that's different and you have a compassion or something happened to you in that time with God. It gave you the ability to interact with these people without being not very nice. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about that last kind of encounter. This is what I call the second kind of encounter. It's really a, an encounter with mankind. And it comes out of an engagement and an appointment and a time with God, and we come out with a passion. Our hearts are inflamed in the same way his is toward people, and we see them differently. So I'm going to talk about this. Um, the first, this is what Jesus said about these two encounters. I, I interpreted this loosely, but in Matthew 22, this is um, the the. Pharisees and religious leaders, as usual, trying to trick him. And they came to him and said, well, um, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one is the best one of all to keep? And Jesus says, well, actually, he says, um, it is to love and worship the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that's within you. That's a translation from the Passion Bible. He said, this is the great and supreme commandment. He says, oh, by the way, there's a second one of equal importance, second kind. And it's like, he says, he says, you must love your friend. In parentheses, the commentary said, those close to you. In the same way you love yourself. Contained within these two commandments, this first and second encounter, to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets Everything, in other words, everything about the whole Old Testament and the New, if you summarize it, it comes down to these two things. Love God with all your heart, with all your heart, pour yourself into that relationship. And from that place, you will find a heart to touch mankind and bring change to their lives. Anybody want to amen that? Yeah. It's the truth. And so we're going to talk about how do I 
leave this place of engaging God full of his love and go out and impart that to mankind and people who wouldn't necessarily want me to do that? How can I engage people who aren't necessarily open to God and find a way? Well, we're going to talk about, if I can turn this page. Apostle John made this statement, and I like this because it, it, actually three or four times in his book, in the first book of John, he said, if he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. It should just flow. It should be a natural thing if we love God to love other people. How many have trouble with that? Please raise your hands. There we go. Okay, we have consensus. So I, I, this is not a condemnation. This is encouragement to find a way. He goes on to say, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, comma, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So the full expression of God is brought into our lives as we learn to love other people as ourselves, having come from a place where we've been loved and experienced love. And it says, um, God is love, and those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. For he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also demonstrate love for others. Now, this is not a heavy-handed, you better do this thing. This is, uh, this is our goal. Now, I want you to know it is absolutely possible. And if you can't do it, you need to ask me for help. This is God's heart. So tonight, he's going to give us help and how to learn to do this. So we ask ourselves, and we look back to our example, how did Jesus demonstrate love to others? We'll look at the Christian template the Christian model was Jesus himself. He did it perfectly, and he said, now those things I've done, I want you to go do them as well. Did he not say that? So we need to go further than, no further than really the Messiah's manifesto or his mission statement, which was the first thing he did on the first day of his ministry, he stood in the, in the synagogue, and he opened the text. They actually opened it for him and handed it to him, and he read from Isaiah 61. What a coincidence that it would be exactly where it needed to be on exactly the right day, speaking exactly what needed to be spoken. This is an epiphany. This is one of those God moments. And Jesus said this, This is my purpose. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me. Now what does that mean? He's anointed and commissioned me. I have the power and I have the authority. You get it? He said, I have everything I need now to go do this, to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. He sent me also to bind up the wounded and the brokenhearted and to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives, freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus said, this is what I'm all about. This is what you'll see me doing. And today, I'm telling you, I am that man. And they went crazy. Remember? They just didn't buy that, did they? So Jesus' ministry was an example to us of what a Christian was meant to be. So I don't want, to, I, I don't want us to come away from this condemned in any way. But I do want us to come away with some encouragement and some things we can begin to do to move in that direction. Is that fair? 
Are you open to that? Bill Johnson said this, and and this is a, a really good illustration, I think. He said, the Holy Spirit is in me for my benefit, but he's on me for yours. That goes for us as well. The Holy Spirit comes into us in this first encounter, but I go out in his power for your benefit. You buy that? Okay. So what did that expression of the Father's heart look like when he encountered hurting people? Well, to be honest, Jesus healed a lot of people, if you recall, every time he had an opportunity. And as we study his life, we realize this is what he called ministry. He fed a lot of people. He taught and he preached and he did all the things that he listed. But everywhere he went, he associated ministry with healing people in some way. So the obvious question is this. As I encounter people in my everyday life, what is the Father's will toward them? What is his heart and what does he want me to do to join him in interacting with these people? There's a, this is a, uh, an excerpt from a book I was reading. It's a gentleman had a, he has a really powerful healing ministry and I'm, I'm rather intimidated by reading the book, but it's good for me to be stirred nonetheless. He, he had a dream. And in this dream, he said, I was sitting in an empty room on a chair and was praying and asking Jesus about this teaching about healing. He obviously had some questions about it. And he said, and as I was praying and asking for clarity, Jesus walked in the room. Off to my side, and he couldn't see him, but I felt his presence. I heard his voice, and the atmosphere shifted. You know what I'm talking about? He was there, and you could sense his presence. And as he began to speak, his words changed the atmosphere. And he said, listen carefully, I hereby give you specific authority to heal all the sick, infirm and hurting. That clears that up. I want all of them healed, but you will never be able to reach all of them. So whatever you, whoever you choose to minister to, I not only want them healed, I expect them to be healed. Yikes. I will be there and watching what you do and how determined you are to see them made well. And then he said, you now have specific authority right from me and you will never have to wonder or question that again. But with it comes responsibility as well. And if you give up, if you try and fail, I want you to come back here and we'll talk again. Isn't that the way he is? I want all of them healed. Remember that. That just strikes a chord in my heart. That was the heart of Jesus, which was the heart of the Father, which is the one I want to grow up into. Like you? And he said this, whoever you choose to minister to. Yes. How do we come to know who to choose? <laughs> is it random? Or do I just, I mean, do, do I just pick, how about you, or you, or you? Or do I somehow make a spiritually informed choice? Have you ever thought of that? Of course you have. Well, let's go back to the manual, which is the book. 
and see what it says. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Underline noticed. Of all the people in that crowded area, he noticed a man. That's a clue. So hold on to that for a moment. Verse 10 continues. The fault-finding Pharisees asked Jesus, well, is it permissible to perform a work of healing on the Sabbath when no one is supposed to work? And he answered them, if any of you had a lamb that fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you reach out your hand and lift it out? Isn't a man much more valuable than a lamb? So, of course, it is always proper to do miracles. That answers our question, when and where, it's whenever and with whomever, and whom are you notice? If it's always proper to do miracles, how do I move about in that thought and not burn myself out in ministry? How do I not do like I did in ministry the first 10 years and try to cover everybody's needs and find out I had nothing left on my plate and I was starving? How do you move through this so that you maintain your health and your well-being and your connection with the first encounter? Well, it's always proper to do miracles, but Jesus didn't heal everyone, did he? No. Read the book again. He thought it was always proper, but he limited his activity to those he encountered where he was prompted by feeling their pain. So my thought is this. If there is compassion for a person's condition and you have an overwhelming compulsion to make something right, then it's proper to pray for them. Consider that permission. Consider that one you need to choose. In Acts 3, we see the same thing. Let me give you another example so you think I'm not just picking from Jesus, which is the standard that no one can meet, of course. But yes, we can. But here we see Peter and James, John went to the table at 3 o'clock for prayer. And as they came to the entrance uh, called the Beautiful Gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled. That's a different language for noticed. They were captured by the sight of a man that was crippled. Something in their hearts connected with his condition, and there was a bustle of people all around them, and they noticed a man, and they were captured by the sight of his crippled condition. Here's another way to look at it. If you're captured by the sight of someone's pain, this might be an invitation to engage them in ministry, right? It's a possibility. And how can you know if they want prayer? Janet? That's right. <laughs> she and Mimi do this at the hospital, they are, but they have badges. So they have permission to move around, but they don't have permission to pray for everyone. So one key thing in praying for people is that we get agreement. We are respectful, right? We act like mature Christians, and we respect people. And whatever they will give is what we take hold of. Because God never kicks in the door. Uh, he always knocks and waits for it to open, doesn't he? So, like Jesus, when it comes to noticing sick people, you may encounter them in any number of walks of life. 
They, um, but we're most captured by the sight of people who are close to us, aren't we? Family members, church members, people in our, in our, in our proximity. But Jesus went about his whole life noticing people in every arena of life. So I just want to challenge you to think outside of the little circles that we live in. We can begin there, but I want to think on a grander scale. I want to think about humanity, and I want to somehow I want to capture the heart of God, don't you? When it comes to healing prayer, one thing is common. Most people who are asked if they would like prayer do what? If, people, if you ask people, would you like me to pray for your healing, most people will say yes. Some, we find out, will say, no, thank you, I'm not religious, I'm an atheist, I hate Christians, whatever they say. But that's the minority. Most people who are hurting want relief, right? And they're willing to take a chance on your ability to bring it, right? And so the ones who see no immediate healing, we pray for them. If they see no immediate healing, they're usually touched and grateful that you even cared. At the very least, they know that someone stopped and noticed, and their heart was turned toward them, and they feel like they were cared for. And at the very best, they're healed, and everyone is ecstatic. With that in mind, I'm going to walk you through something now. And uh, would you help me, Chris, with some handouts? I want everybody to have these notes. I want you to uh, don't throw these away. Would you fold them and put them in your Bible for future reference? And I'm going to take you through these five steps. And I'm going to do it fairly quickly, and then we're going to pray for each other. Is that okay? All right. This is something called the five-step prayer model. And uh, it's simple, but it's not easy. So I'm going to walk you through this with a little bit of explanation. Um, and like Jesus' followers, I'm going to send you out in two by twos, and you're going to come back and tell me how you did. And I'm going to trust that you'll give this a shot. Okay, I'm going to move down through this, so don't get ahead of me. Stay with where I'm at on the page, if you would, so that I can really describe moving through this model. Okay, do we have enough, Chris? Exactly. Isn't that wonderful? So here we go. When we, when we meet someone, um, what is the first thing we do? Hi, I'm Bob. And we... Try to engage them in conversation. I remember Janet telling me about a situation at the hospital, and she went in, and, and, and she, I'm not going to give any information, but she went into a room and said, hi, I'm with the chaplain's service, and she, the guy says, I'm not religious, don't want any of what you're selling, basically. And she said, oh, oh well, can we just talk? And he was, like, good with that, and he just spilled his guts. <laughs> he, <laughs> he just didn't want to do anything religious, but an, an interview is engaging person and showing interest in who they are. And during this time, I want you to be really sensitive to ask God, Lord, would you show me through what's going on here just information I need to know about this person. Give me your insight so that I know how to pray for them. And so the basic questions we ask are, what does the doctor say when you walk in his office? Where does it hurt, <laughs> right? It's the same kind of thing here. I heard another man use a different question. He said, what would you like me to pray? Would you like me to pray for your healing? 
So he was more specific. He wanted them to agree with him on a level of, I agree with you that we're going to go for healing. And so he engaged them at a different level than, what would you like me to pray for? You do whatever you're comfortable with, okay? At the very least, we want to know, where does it hurt? What's going on with you that, that's in pain? When Jesus prayed for blind Bartimaeus, he asked what seemed like an obvious question, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? That was in Mark 10. One model asked the same question. It says, well, that's the man I just explained. What would, how would you like me to pray for your healing? So listen to this. While they're replying, listen on two levels. I want you to listen on the natural level, and I want you to listen to them on the supernatural level. On the natural, they'll be giving you symptoms and telling you the story. In the background, I want this thing running that's saying, all right, Lord, tell me what this means in the supernatural. Does what they're telling me have anything to do with what you're really doing? Because sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they're just saying it hurts right there. And what you want to know is where does that, does that pain emanate from? What is the core of that pain so I can go right for the healing? So it, we're, remember, this is not a medical interview. And you don't need any gory details. I've had people go on with their whole list of their medical history, and I'd have to stop them and say, you know what, I don't understand any of that. But what I can do is pray for what if you're hurting. And so you kind of, you don't want to be rude, but you don't need more information because that begins to erode your faith. And it takes you to a place in the natural that you may not need to go. Sometimes what God wants to do has nothing to do with physical healing. It has to do with something else that's affecting their physical. So it's more important to have details about the person and their relationship with God than it is to have technical medical details. So you're listening to the person. You with me? Everybody on track? All right. Remember, our goal is this. We want to leave this person feeling more loved by God than they were before we prayed for them. We don't want to leave any condemnation, any, any of our judgments on them, we want them to have been connected with God and feel good about that connection. Okay? All right. Second step is diagnosis. The diagnosis step is about identifying the root of the person's problems. This is kind of overlaps with step one because as you're listening to this supernatural feedback from God and you've already asked him to help you, Right? So, oh boy, I need, to, I need your help here, Lord. I don't, I don't understand in the spirit what's going on in the natural. I need your help. And so you're picking up just whatever information you can that helps. And uh, this is where you're asking God for words of knowledge, uh, Bible verses, insights, whatever you can that ties to their real need. And so you're asking, why do they have this condition? Not what do they have, but why? Okay? It could be natural which is a disease, an accident, or trauma. It could be sin. They've been in a lifestyle or involved in something. These are the consequences of that sin is playing out in their lives. Or they could have emotional hurts where they were caused by um, physical trauma or pain. Inner healing is required where people have damaged in their hearts. They could have relationship problems where they've gone through a divorce, where they've gone through breakups or they've been some way damaged in relationships, even in employment and things of that nature. And usually this is going to involve some level of forgiveness, isn't it? If they're willing. It, um, and the condition may be due to a supernatural cause. What would that be? 
There might be some demonic activity in their lives. There might be an open door of wounding and pain in their lives where the devil has come in. You know, any time there's pain, there's always supernatural activity around that. And it's nearly always darkness gravitates and draws on that and feeds it. And so just assume that there will be some kind of spiritual activity associated with pain. Ask questions tactfully. If you're talking about forgiveness, I want you to know um, people are not always willing and ready to move to forgive someone who's hurt them. Can anybody agree with me? It doesn't just happen real quick, does it? Sometimes we have to just move in that direction, but we have to know that that's a possibility, and then we can do that when we're ready. And so be tactful. You might ask questions like, is there a situation in the past where someone has hurt you? And it's hard to forgive them. So you're not demanding that they do anything. You're just getting information that steers them in the direction when they need to start pondering what is God doing. And if forgiveness is a theme, then he will bring it home, I'll tell you. Are they talking to you? I'm sorry, as they're talking to you, keep asking God for help and listening to his direction. Now, here's something I learned years ago. When you're praying for something, don't, don't close your eyes. You're missing half of what's going on in their, in their circumstances because people will give off signals in their body and their reactions and their inflection and different things that tell you what's going on, and you need to be able to read that. You with me? So I'm going to tell you what some of those signs are in just a moment so you can begin to think, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. We had a, a couple that were praying for someone, and the person was hurt. And um, if they hadn't had their eyes open, they would have missed the person. Uh, something was happening in their body, and they were manifesting movement. And uh, one of the people assumed that it was due to the injury. It was physical, and the other person picked right up on it that it wasn't. It was the presence of God was touching them. And they began to invite the Lord to come more, and the presence increased um, and actually healing things happened from that. Okay, so we have to be attentive spiritually and physically, just tuned in. Then we come to this thing called prayer selection. What kind of prayer shall I pray to help this person? Then we following right on the diagnosis. We ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to this person. Now, the reason we ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to them is so that he can give them the peace and the receptivity spiritually that will open the door to their healing. So we invite God to come. We invite his touch, his movement, his presence, his peace. And when people recognize that feeling with that language, they connect the dots and they recognize God was here. Everything changes when people recognize that God is with them. Am I right? So, at this point, you may want to share what God has shown you so far. If you have a Bible verse for them or you've seen a, a word of knowledge or you have something to speak to them that might be the Lord, this would be a good time to share with them because they're very receptive when they sense the presence of God. Now, there's two main areas that need prayer regularly. One is, is the body. <laughs> when, when you're praying for people, it be very appropriate in touching them. Um, by that, I mean I don't lay hands on women. I ask another woman to do that. Um, and even if women are laying hands on women, they're very appropriate in where they touch them. Am I right? 
If someone's been abused in the past, they may not be want to be touched at all. So it's a good idea to ask them, can I put my hand on your shoulder or on your head? Or, but always inquire and so you gain permission. Okay? That's a good idea. I don't say, I shouldn't say I don't all, ever pray for women and lay hands on Always ask them and it's always in the presence of other people and always do it on the shoulder or on the head. So when you're praying for people, there's some things we can begin to speak to. I know this is a lot of information, and I don't mean to inundate you with it, but we just have so many minutes we can cover this kind of stuff. So there's some things we can begin to say to people that will help them. One prayer is a prayer of a command of faith. It's found in Acts 3, 6, where Jesus says, or uh, Paul says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So that's one thing we can speak with authority if we sense that's what God's doing. Another is we can make a pronouncement of faith. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 8, 13. He told the woman, because you believed, it's happened to you. I mean, to the, to the man. And he says, to the woman in Matthew 9, he says, Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. So there's the command for something to happen, and there's a proclamation that it's actually happening right now as we observe it. So you'll know which of those by the tone of God's voice in his heart. In your heart. These are words that we've heard in our instruction for ministry so that when we speak them, they carry the very weight of heaven. When I speak and I have the delegated authority of Jesus, that same power and authority comes through my ministry. And if it doesn't, it's on my part, not his. I just haven't moved in the faith yet, or I haven't found the way around this thing to, to get into the access. How is the ministry of authority and power released? It's released through words of authority and power. When you begin to practice praying for people, let's do this. Let's not beg God to do something he's already told us that he wants to do. Can we agree on that? If he said, I'm all about healing, and I want you to heal everyone, we don't have to ask him, is this someone you want to heal? He hates sickness. He hates death. He hates insanity. He hates anything that's orchestrated from sin or the devil. And he wants to make right what was made wrong. That was the coming of Jesus. So James 3, 5 tells us, and so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. Proverbs 18 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. Hmm. So are the words I'm speaking having power in people's lives? They absolutely are. Because like a gun, for instance, a word can be worked for evil or for good. So the, James has warned us not to speak evil words that damage people and hurt them and speaking evil things that began to cripple us. He's, he's, what we're saying here is begin to speak words of life that promote and encourage and release the power of God. Agree with him and speak his words. So that's what we're going to be practicing in our prayers. Jesus also taught that words can create 
and destroy, which means that the authority and power to, can consume and burn up sickness and disease and justice, evil, and even death itself. So we need to begin to start thinking like Jesus if we're going to do the things of Jesus. And that means we began to risk praying for people with power and authority. And we do it until we get better at it and become mature and begin to release God's desire into this world. Sometimes you'll be dealing with people from past hurts and you may have to um, find ways to help them find forgiveness or things like that. Sometimes you may need to do a referral. You may not have the time to go through a long protracted prayer, but you may say, you know, you might want to do a sozo event or prayer ministry or you might want to um, um, engage with someone in counseling about forgiveness on this issue to help you through the steps. So it's okay to say to refer people down the road. I'm not going to get into the demonic side of that just yet because we'll talk about that later because that's a whole other ballgame. But if you sense there's something demonic and heavy going on, you, you can engage that if you want to and you feel like you, you're ready, or you can put it on hold and get someone to help you. Okay? That's okay to do that. If you sense something's going on there and you don't feel capable or ready to engage that, just tell the people, you know what I want to do? I want to do a follow-up with you with someone else, and we want to tackle this thing together. And we don't tell them they have a demon. We say there's some spiritual activity here we need to have removed. Something to that effect. We want to preserve their dignity, don't we? So, prayer engagement, some of the things you can look for. These are things I've observed over the years. Sometimes when the power of God comes on people, what are some of the things you see? Crying. It can be good or bad crying. It can be shaking. Have you ever seen anyone just euphoric, look like they're drunk? That can happen. People can be staggering around and just in the presence of God. And uh, it, was, it certainly happened on the day of Pentecost, didn't it? Nine o'clock in the morning. He says, what is this with these guys? They're drunk already? He says, no, what you're seeing is a manifestation of the visitation of the Holy Spirit. There's people who could jump up and down. They can have laughter. They could be sobbing. They can have a slight trembling, a fluttering of the eyelids. They can have a little bead of perspiration break out on them. Um, they... They can feel faint at times. They can feel a weight on their chest. They can feel a heaviness in the air. They can feel peace. They can, their whole countenance can change. You can see calmness come over them. These are the things that we observe as we watch, and God will help us to interpret that and speak to that. If you see God engaging someone, don't interrupt. Encourage. Okay? That's pretty simple. Having said that, it's always a good idea if you're moving along through a prayer ministry with someone to ask them how they're doing. It won't interrupt the flow of ministry. Say, how are you doing? What are you feeling? What's going on? Things of that nature. And it gives you feedback. on what's, Sometimes they'll tell you something you didn't even, even begin to remotely anticipate. Information that helps you redirect and go for it in a different direction with prayer. When do we stop praying? You can look at your notes. What are some answers? When they tell you it's over, it's over. They're done, they're finished, and so are you. When you believe that God has told you to stop, you can stop. 
when you run out of things to pray, it's a good idea to stop talking when you don't have anything to say, right? And when nothing is happening, you can stop. You can get another appointment for another time to re-engage. You can do these things. Now, but if you stop, indicate to the person what's going on. You take your hand off and you begin to speak to them and not pray to God. You begin to redirect them and you're going to help them move through what's just happened, good or bad. You're going to help them come away with a good experience. And by that, it's not, it's not wise just to turn around and walk off and leave people in that state. You want to transition with them and give them a sense that that was really good and this is what God was doing and here's what you need to do next. And that takes us right into this post-direction prayer um, where you begin to tell them, you know what, you'll probably want to follow up uh, and read the Bible or get involved in a church or be in a small group or get counseling or maybe we want to go do uh, some kind of deliverance ministry, we call it something else. But treat people uh, just like you'd want to be treated, okay? Now, how are we doing on time? Hmm? 6.30. Give me about 10 minutes. Can we get it? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your notes. I want you to pair up with someone. I want you to interview them. And I want you to walk them through this and see if you can practice some of this, okay? I don't expect you to do it well. I'm just asking, if I send you home with homework to do this, you won't do it. So I'm going to give you the practicum tonight. So find you another person, notice someone, and be with them, and then interview them, and follow your notes and take them through. And I want um, at least one of you out of the couple to do it for time's sake, okay? So find someone there that you want to pair up with, preferably not a spouse, okay? Someone else, uh, women with women, men with men if we can. And um, let's and take about 10 minutes. Just one of you practice this with the other, and the other person's job is to help them with this prayer list, okay? You may begin.